Today's episode is sponsored by NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. NerdWallet's trusted financial journalists use fact-based reporting for some much-needed clarity in the finance world, helping you make smarter decisions with your money. The nerds have helped me get smarter about things like planning for my tax bills so I don't dread April every year, producing a balanced budget, not just for football, and saving on travel because spending less on airfares means more money for an extra night and maybe a fancy dinner too. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money podcast on your favourite podcast app. Future you will thank you. I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon. Hey everybody, how's it going? Welcome back along to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast, part of the 90 Min Football family. As ever, I'm your host, Harry Simiou. And on this edition of the show, we're going to be looking back at Arsenal's victory over the MLS All-Stars. We're going to be talking about the occasion on the whole. I think there was way too much made of what was, to me, just the pre-season friendly. But we'll get into uh, all of that. We'll discuss uh, the game overall, Arsenal's performance overall. We'll also uh, discuss the debut of Declan Rice. We'll talk Kai Havertz. Uh, we're going to talk Leandro Trossard, Urian Timber. There are lots and lots of players uh, that we're going to um, make sure uh, we get into, cram into today's agenda. We're not going to do any of that transfer chat. We're not going to do any of that on this episode. We'll do another episode a little bit later on today where we round up uh, some of the latest rumours, discuss those. This show is solely going to be about Arsenal's game last night out in Washington, D.C. against the MLS All-Stars. Right. Welcome. Uh, welcome. Good to see uh, so many of you in the live chat already. Um, it's always great to log on and see that people are waiting. Like it, it just, you know, reassures me that people are enjoying the show, which is always amazing. You know, when you put so much effort into something, um, it's nice to know that it's been uh, enjoyed. And, and it's great to see that we've built um, an unbelievable community here. Uh, a couple of messages as well to give you uh, during this edition of the podcast. Uh, the first one being, and let me let me do this now uh, because I really don't want to forget to do this because I think this is uh, an amazing thing that's happening. Uh, and I'm really, really looking forward to meeting uh, lots of you at this event. And it is uh, the Guna Talk TV, Tom Canton. Uh, it's his event. It's a live podcast at the Mild May Club in Newington Green, which is not a million miles away uh, from Emirates Stadium. And it's a live podcast where he will be, of course, hosting. It's his event. Uh, myself, uh, FK from the Latte Firm will be on the panel, along with Mike Feinberg of the Gooners Pod. And of course, uh, Bailey Keogh from Your Boys as well. That's on Sunday, the 13th of August. The ticket price is uh, are at £22, and there is a link uh, in the description of this episode that you can click on if you want to buy a ticket and come down, talk Arsenal with us for the best part of a good couple of hours. I think the show starts, uh, I think, at 6pm, doors open at 5pm, and it's obviously the day after the first uh, Premier League game for the Gunners. Um, so it's on the Sunday. Really, really looking forward to this. Really grateful uh, to Tom for inviting me to be on the panel as well. I've done this type of thing before. Um, we did one with the Gunas pod for Gunas versus Cancer. I've done a couple of others as well with 90 Min. It's amazing to do a podcast in a live setting and it's amazing to meet all the incredible people that support you. 
so if you are interested in this and you want to come down, if you've got any questions, uh, fire me a message, of course. Um, I know a few of you have messaged me about this already and I haven't got around to responding to all of them, but I will do that today. Uh, so bear with me. But the link is in the description. If you want to buy a ticket, come down. It's going to be great fun. We're going to talk Arsenal. And more importantly than that, for me, get to meet uh, lots of you guys as well. Uh, so, yeah, really, really uh, looking forward uh, to that event, which is coming up on Sunday, the 13th of August. OK, uh, we're going to focus, as I say, on the game last night between Arsenal and the MLS All-Stars. Let's start with the occasion, because for me, like, it's obviously great that, you know, so much is made of this. It's obviously great for the MLS from a publicity perspective to have a side like Arsenal come. You know, soccer as a sport, which is what they call it there, is um, it is growing all the time. MLS is growing all the time. And so any kind of opportunity that they get to bring over a big club like Arsenal, I think, is one that they'll want to absolutely maximise. And I thought that that's what they did in terms of the spectacle yesterday and making it into a, a really, really big deal. We know that Lionel Messi has gone out to MLS as well. And that will have a big impact on how football in the United States is seen and viewed. And it's only going in one direction. It's only going in a positive direction. And so what they did was they got a team of the MLS's all-stars uh, together, managed by Wayne Rooney, who English football fans will be very familiar with, uh, to take on Arsenal last night. And I have to say, it wasn't a contest at all, was it? It really, really wasn't. Arsenal ran out 5-0 winners, really comfortable winners. You always felt watching that game that Arsenal were kind of playing in second gear and that at any moment they could switch it up, they could go up a level and they could just take the game away from MLS All-Stars completely. And Arsenal did that in certain moments and ended up, as I say, winning the game by five goals to nil. In terms of the event and the occasion, like, to me, this is a friendly Right. To me, this is a friendly match. This is a preseason friendly in place primarily for players to build up their fitness ahead of a new season. Obviously, there are com there is commercial value to this from Arsenal's perspective. You go on tour to a country in which your club is very, very popular. You go and you sell out stadiums that you wouldn't normally play at. You give people, fans an opportunity to come along and see you that wouldn't normally get that opportunity. So there's lots to gain outside of just the fitness and just the football. There is real commercial value. There is an opportunity, as I say, for supporters to get to do things um, that they don't get to do regularly. And I say this every preseason, and I'm going to say it again because I really, really do mean this, like literally uh, from the bottom of my heart. Like, I don't think fans halfway across the world get any anywhere near enough love and appreciation for their dedication to this football club. Because I stayed up last night um, and the game kicked off at 1.30 a.m. UK time. And I watched it all the way through. I must admit, in the last sort of five, seven minutes, I was dozing a little bit. I, had to, I have to say that, you know, I can't lie. I really, really struggled. But I did that and I thought to myself, how do you guys do that every single week? Because it's difficult. And especially when you've got a life to live around it. So, you know, you've got a job to go to in the morning. You've got to be functional. You've got a family to take care of. You've got other commitments. It must be really, really difficult to, to stay up till those hours 
and to be as dedicated as you guys are. So that should never go unnoticed. That should never go under the radar um, as to what a special job you guys do of supporting this football club. And, and you deserve the opportunity to get to see Arsenal in the flesh uh, as you have uh, had obviously yesterday, those of you that were in Washington, I know a lot of you are going to be in LA. I know some of you are going to be in New York uh, for the upcoming games as well. So take it all in, enjoy it. And, you know, it, it's amazing to sort of see how big this football club is on a global scale. Now, I know we already know it, but every now and again, we kind of need a reminder of that, I think. And it's it's really, really great to see. So um, big shout out uh, to all of you uh, who follow the club from overseas, because as I say, it isn't an easy thing to do and you deserve all the praise in the world uh, for managing to do that on a regular basis. Anyway, um, look, and I can see it in the chat. Um, uh, Mohad says, uh, we in Malaysia watch the Champions League at 3 a.m. Take my hat off to you, man. I, I really, really do. Uh, Emmanuel says he was up at 3.30 a.m. in Kenya. Uh, Damien Kelly says it was 7.30 p.m. in Jamaica, which is pretty, pretty good, uh, pretty decent. Um, what else have we got uh, in terms of times? Uh, Zeus says 1.30 a.m. is the UCL kickoff time in India. So again, this just highlights that there are Arsenal fans all across the globe that make these sacrifices on a weekly basis. And I just wanted to give a big shout out to those guys. I know a lot of you do that to watch or listen to this podcast as well, which is amazing to me. Um, so you all deserve lots and lots of praise, lots and lots of credit. But anyway, let's get into the game. Arsenal running out 5-0 winners. It was pretty easy stuff for the Gunners in the end. So Mikel Arteta's side uh, started the scoring uh, pretty early on. It took them just five minutes to break the deadlock at the Audi Field Stadium in DC. Gabriel Jesus with an almost Lionel Messi-like chip. It was a a pass out towards the right-hand side. I think it was Jorginho that played the pass. Uh, Saka, uh, cutting the ball back inside. And Jesus just arriving at the edge of the box a little bit later than maybe your traditional centre-forward would, uh, just kind of holding his run, checking his run a little bit. And when the ball came to him, he glanced up, spotted the goalkeeper's position and just dinked it in towards the far post area. I have to admit, and I think a lot of you will probably disagree with me, but let me know in the chat. I have to admit, when I saw it, like in, in the first instance, I wondered if Gabriel Jesus meant that. I wondered if he was trying to chip it into the far corner or if he was trying to clip it towards the far post where he thought Eddie and Ketia would be making a run. That was the first thought that went through my mind. I've watched it back and I think actually he did try, he did mean it now. Um, but you can see why I might have thought that um, at the beginning. That name in the chat says... Uh, was a cross. Uh, Travarelli says, of course he meant it. Don't do this, Harry. Uh, Robert Segal says, um, Jesus's goal reminded me of righty's goals. Um, Steve saying, behave, Harry. He's not having it. He's not having it that Gabriel Jesus didn't mean it. Look, I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that at first glance, that's what it looked like to me. It looked like someone who had sort of checked his run was aware of Eddie Nketiah's positioning in and around the far post area. Obviously, Eddie Nketiah is a centre forward by nature as well. And um, he probably figured he was going to make that run into the far post. So he dinked it into that area, maybe. But no, I, I'm, I'm swaying towards the side of he did mean it, having watched it back multiple times. But surely you can at least see why I thought that in the first instance. Anyway, so that was Arsenal breaking the deadlock nice and early with a really, really good goal. Um, after that, 
I thought that MLS All-Star side started to play some decent stuff. Um, they were making a lot of tactical fouls. You could see that they were quite up for it. You could see that they wanted to give a good account of themselves. As I say, this is a big occasion uh, for US soccer to have Arsenal there playing against their All-Star eleven, which is clearly a really, really big deal to them because if you look at the fanfare around it, the the build-up to it, you know, the fireworks on the pitch and in and around the stadium, Brian McKnight singing the national anthem, the flyover from the fighter jets as well. I mean, to me, it's all a bit much for a friendly, but obviously to those in the States, they don't see it as a friendly. They see it as an exhibition. They see it as an occasion and an opportunity, I guess, to showcase what MLS is all about. Um, the truth is it didn't really give a great account of itself because apart from a really short period of time after Arsenal scored the first goal, where they were getting forward, particularly down the left-hand side um, and trying to carve Arsenal open, the game was was very much one-way traffic. Leandro Trossard scored the second goal for Arsenal. Uh, again, picks the ball up on the edge of the box, similar position to where Jesus scored from, just drops the shoulder, shifts it past his man and rifles it into the corner. Goalkeeper, no chance. Sublime finish from Leandro Trossard, who we're going to talk a little bit um, about later on in the show, because I think we've talked so much about the new signings and the impact that they're going to have. It's almost been overlooked a little bit that Leandro Trossard is an Arsenal player, has had half a season now to embed in, to work with his teammates, to understand the requirements uh, of Mikel Arteta and all the rest of it. And I am actually expecting really big things from him going into the new campaign. So we'll come on to that in a little bit uh, more detail, a little bit later on. Obviously, uh, there was the Jorginho penalty as well. I mean, trademark Jorginho penalty runs up, does the little skip, hop, whatever you want to call it, and rolls it into the corner. Gabriel Martinelli doing his best impression of roadrunner on 85 minutes, showing his pace and composure when getting into that position to just slot it low past the goalkeeper. And then Kai Havertz uh, with the final goal, the final nail in the coffin for the MLS All-Stars uh, on 89 minutes. I mean, he can't do it in the MLS skills challenge, can he, Kai Havertz? And he took pelters for that uh, throughout yesterday, which I thought was pathetic and embarrassing in its own right. Uh, but then for him to just casually, in a match situation, take the ball down in exactly the way he probably should have uh, in the MLS skills challenge and just smash it past the keeper and then celebrate it as if it was kind of nothing uh, was really, really great and, and probably my favourite moment of the match. Look, I love the fact that, you know, we get to see the other side. And, and when I talk about the other side, I talk about American sport because I think American sport is really, really different. I think there are some really great parts of it. I think there are things and elements that the Americans do around sport in terms of the entertainment value that are amazing. But I think there are things that don't really have a place in football and don't really have a place in our sport. And when the two worlds collide, I find it quite weird. So a skills challenge to me is not something that, should live in in the world of our game. I, I've got mates that disagree with me. Um, we've been having this back and forth over the last couple of days. Is this something that we should bring into the Premier League? To me, no. Um, to me, no. It's a glorified training session. And that's why I think I found it really, really difficult to deal with or get my head around or comprehend all the nonsense that was being said uh, about Kai Havertz after, you know, his performance, shall we say, in that skills challenge, it didn't mean anything. Um, it, it really, really didn't. And and as I say, I don't think there is a place for that in football. The other thing is, 
all the kind of pageantry around the games, I think it's a bit too much. Um, I, I haven't got a problem with it in a final. I haven't got a problem with it in a tournament. I haven't got a problem with it in a game upon which something is riding. But I do think it's a little bit OTT when it comes to games like the All-Star game. And, and you know, it's not me being a snob or saying that, you know, no, we shouldn't have this. And, you know, everybody should be forced to do it the British way. Somebody told me yesterday that this is a very British way of thinking. Maybe it is. Let me know. But I do think there is something pure about football in Europe and in South America and in other parts of the world as well. That means it doesn't need all the pageantry around it and it doesn't need all the extras because it can still be special without it. And I think actually when you add too much of that, it does take away from what the game is actually about. That's just my opinion. And, you know, I'm I'm entitled to it. You guys are entitled to yours. But I thought for me, it was just all a little bit cringe at times. <laughs> um, and I thought that about some of the coverage around the game as well. I'm not sitting here sort of slagging off individual broadcasters or anything. Like maybe that's just the way they do it. Uh, across the pond, but it felt really, really different. Uh, the kind of build up all the rest of it to what we're used to here in the UK. And it took me a bit of time to kind of get my head around it as well. And some of the language that was being used is not really language that we associate with our sport, um, but probably fits quite well, actually, into American sport, you know, baseball, NFL, NBA, all the rest of it. But anyway, let's get back to the game itself. I've talked about the goals. I thought the overall performance was good enough. Okay. It wasn't electric throughout there were lulls in the game which you're going to get uh, particularly at this stage of preseason it's still quite early players are still finding their way to fitness you always know that there's going to be changes uh, you always know that there's going to be um, you know a, a real close eye kept on how some players are performing and, and sort of their physical state in order to ensure that they don't end up uh, picking up any injuries or anything like that um, you know, you've got to be careful of those things because what you're trying to do is build these players' fitness back up. But different players have different levels. Um, different players have different requirements. There will be players that kept themselves fitter than others over the course of the summer. There'll be players that are naturally fitter than others. And so they don't need as much care and protection. There are some players that you need to build it up slowly and there'll be injury issues or concerns around certain individuals that need to be managed in order to make sure that we don't do uh, them any harm. Let's just quickly reflect on the team that Mikel Arteta picked because I thought um, the team that he picked was was quite interesting in a couple of ways. Uh, so I'll just bring that up on the screen. Bear with me for those of you watching us on YouTube. So it was Ramsdale in goal, as you'd expect, number one goalkeeper, finding his feet again. Uh, White, Saliba, Gabriel and Kivio across the back. Uh, obviously, Zinchenko wasn't involved, uh, but it's interesting to see Kivio playing at left back again and not Kieran Tierney, uh, which suggests something that Mikel Arteta, which suggests that tactically Kieran Tierney maybe just doesn't fit anymore. We don't know if he's had any injury problems. We don't know if his fitness is maybe not quite at the same level as Kivio's right now. But yeah, it's interesting, isn't it, that Kivio, who was brought in as a centre-back, seems to take precedent over Kieran Tierney, even in a game like this. The midfield was made up of Jorginho, Trossard and Vieira. Uh, and then the front three was Saka, uh, Jesus through the middle and Enketia playing off of the left-hand side. And again, that was interesting. Enketia being utilised from the left-hand side. We've seen that a few times uh, over the last 12 months where he's come on. Maybe Mikel hasn't necessarily wanted to take Jesus off the pitch and stuff and felt that Enketia maybe has the legs to play wide 
and obviously has that instinct to follow the ball in, uh, follow things up inside the penalty area and maybe can do some damage that way. I thought William Saliba looked great again, um, as he always seems to do in an Arsenal shirt. He always looks so comfortable. He always looks so composed and he always looks so in control of situations. And I know I said this after the Nuremberg game, but for me, the big thing about Saliba is just seeing him back on the pitch. Like That is massive for us. It really, really is to see him back on the pitch, playing his game, looking comfortable, looking good, looking sharp. Um, moving into the midfield, I thought Jorginho... Although he's great on the ball, and I've always said this about Jorginho, you know, he always looks really, really comfortable with the ball at his feet. He always looks like, um, you know, he can do a job um, sort of in possession and he always looks like he can, um, you know, dictate the tempo of a game. I always had this concern with Jorginho with regards to his ability to... Um, his ability to sort of pick the ball up in empty spaces um, or, or get to the ball first when it drops into empty spaces. There's always this fear of mine that Jorginho gets sucked into situations that he just doesn't have the legs to come out on top in. And then that leaves you really, really exposed. Thomas Partey, quicker across the ground, has bigger strides. And I think maybe reads when he should and shouldn't go out to the ball that little bit better. Declan Rice is obviously going to bring that to the table as well. And although, again, Jorginho played pretty well and, you know, his ability to control the ball in a tight space, I think, created the first goal for Arsenal, really, because he took it on um, in, a, in a tight area of the midfield and managed to work it out to the right-hand side. I do think we saw glimpses once again of where his shortcomings are. And I think there'll be certain games where you don't mind it and you take the risk where you're dominant in possession and you're trying to unpick a lock. I think Jorginho is really good at breaking lines and all the rest of it and, and has a part and a role to play. But I just think you saw signs yesterday um, of where Jorginho is still lacking a little bit and probably will always be lacking, uh, to be honest with you. Um, taking it on uh, from Jorginho, we saw uh, Leandro Trossard playing in that midfield position. Um, the left eight position, which we saw him do at various points towards the end of the last campaign where we were chasing games particularly and Arteta wanted to throw on that little bit more of an attacking influence um, and someone who poses a goal threat but also has an incredible assist record since uh, making the move from Brighton to Arsenal. And he scored what was a brilliant goal once again and I've talked about him briefly as someone that I think can go on to a new level this season. You know, we we forget how new he is still to the football club and how he's still adapting to Mikel Arteta's way and all the rest of it. Um, but yeah, it's interesting to see him seen as an option again in that position. And look, the truth is, if you think that Kai Havertz can play that role, who has played most of his career as a forward for the last couple of years, certainly as a centre forward, has played as a 10 at times, as a false nine, but rarely has he played as one of a midfield three. If you think that Kai Havertz can do it, why can't Leandro Trossard do it? Why can't Leandro Trossard be a, um, you know, why can't Leandro Trossard be an option for Mikel Arteta in uh, in that area of the pitch? And um, Mikel Arteta clearly thinks he can do the job. And if he scores goals like that, then I'm sure people will agree. Because whatever you say about the suitability to that role and who we're going to play there and all the rest of it, um, 
you you look at you look at what we're actually asking that player to do and you look at the average positions for example that Granit Xhaka took up last season very much get forward um you know get into the box become the fifth attacker if you like at certain points then it makes sense for the player that plays there to have goal threat doesn't it it's the other side of the game that I worry about and I, and I have concerns around the balance. But generally, uh, I think Leandro Trossard is looking good. He had to come off the pitch again with a slight problem, but Mikel Arteta shut down any rumours that that was a big deal. Fabio Vieira didn't do really enough for me. Again, um, bit getting a bit concerned about him and what his role is going to look like going into the new season. Uh, Saka looked sharp when he needed to. Enketia looked fitness-wise really, really sharp. And Jesus obviously scored a cracking goal. We're going to come on to talk about the second half and the players that came on the pitch now, because I'm sure you'll want to hear about Rice. I'm sure you'll want to hear about Timber and I'm sure you want to hear more about Kai Havertz as well. But before we do that, we're going to take a very, very short pause. Then we're going to dive into the comments and continue the conversation. Be back in just a second. Welcome back to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast, part of the 90 Min Football family. Uh, don't forget to leave a like on the video if you haven't done so already. Uh, just the 94 likes on the board at this moment in time, which is uh, nowhere near enough. Come on, guys, uh, sort it out, will you? Um, get on with it. Um, like, subscribe, all the rest of it. It's very, very much uh, appreciated. Um, Okay, let's see what you guys are saying in the chat box as well. Um, just going back to the Tierney thing, because I think a lot of people um, are sort of split on this, actually. And I, I made the comment there and sort of reflecting on the comment, I said, well, the fact that Kivior's preferred to Tierney is probably quite telling. There is obviously a tactical element to this, and I can't remember if I mentioned that, but there is obviously a tactical element to this, right? There is this idea of playing with a certain type of profile player in these positions to give us the flexibility that Arteta wants in and around the midfield. For example, we saw a couple of times, more than a couple of times, but I thought particularly in the first half, Jakub Kivior going into the midfield role. Kiarantini's tried that and it just doesn't work for him. Like however you want to dress it up, however you want to package it up. When we saw Kiarantini trying to do that last season, he looked like a duck out of water. He looked lost. He looked like a goldfish on the pe on the sidewalk. Like he he just didn't look right. Jakob Kivior looks okay doing that. I still think he's got work to be doing in terms of that. Just like I thought when Tommy Asu tried to do it at times in Zinchenko's absence last season, it didn't look a hundred percent natural. But it's clearly a tactic and something that Mikel Arteta is going to stick with and he's going to persist with and so whoever plays in that position needs to be able to do it and if Kieran Tierney doesn't develop in that sense and doesn't pick up what is required to play that role in the way that Arteta wants it then he's only ever going to be a bit part player and he's only going to ever be able to have any impact when we opt to maybe invert from the right hand side and maybe one of the reasons and I don't know this for the for a fact maybe one of the reasons that Kieran Tierney isn't banging the door down to leave is because he thinks that with the introduction of Urian Timber to the squad that maybe we're going to invert a bit more from the right-hand side, which means there's more scope for a more traditional fullback on the left-hand side or someone who can tuck in as a third centre-back on the left side of the defence instead. I don't know. I'm guessing. You know, that is a theory. It's not anything backed up. 
But yeah, um, you know, Kieran Tierney for me is 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 going to struggle to get in this team. He, he really, really is at this moment in time. Um, Damien says, you're all lying to yourselves. Arteta doesn't trust Tierney. He doesn't fit his style of play. Um, what else have we got? There was a couple of comments on this. Um, people basically agreeing, um, you know, that maybe just doesn't fit tactically. I, I know a lot of people love Kieran Tierney, and rightly so. You know, he's fantastic. Um, he's fantastic. He really, really is. Um, but, yeah, sometimes players just don't fit, and, and that isn't to say that he's a bad player or that isn't to say that we should get rid of him or, or anything like that. Sometimes you just don't work in a certain system. You, you're, you're not able to show your highest level or you're not able to show the best of yourself if you're being asked to do things that don't come naturally to you. And I think that's where we are uh, with Kieran Tierney at this moment in time. Really great player. And if he does leave, I, I wish him all the best. Look, I don't want him to leave because I want our squad to be as deep and as strong as it possibly can be. And Kieran Tierney certainly adds something there. But tactically, there's something missing. There's a breakdown somewhere along the line, which is making it very, very difficult for him to get into the side. Um, let's talk then about uh, the uh, the new boys, and then we're going to do questions for the rest of the show. Uh, let's start with Declan Rice, who obviously came on in the second half. And people are going to take this as a criticism of Declan Rice. Please don't, because this is not what I'm intending to do here. But I did have an observation about Declan Rice that I wanted to share with you guys, and I'm interested to know what you guys thought about it as well. Declan Rice is a player who has played for the last few years under David Moyes, who's a really, really safe coach, a defensive-minded coach, you could say, and somebody who's very, very risk-averse. He'd like to put Thomas Suchek alongside Declan Rice to give West Ham United that bit of protection. At times, you saw Declan Rice kind of shake the shackles off himself, but you can bet that David Moyes would have always been thinking about making sure that they're protected in the middle of the pitch and making sure that they're always um, ready to deal with the transition. To go from that to a team that asks you and a manager that asks you to do the complete opposite, which is to take risks, to play the ball between the lines, to break lines, to set up moves and to get your team from one end of the pitch to the other as quickly as possible must be a bit of a culture shock for Declan Rice. Now, he'd have known exactly what he was getting himself into. He'd have understood something about Mikel Arteta's philosophy prior to signing. We've heard, haven't we, since the announcement that he has been speaking to Mikel Arteta for a little while and that one of the big sells was Arsenal's ability to convince him of his role and, and where he would go. But what I saw from Declan Rice yesterday was him keeping it simple quite a bit. And more simple than Thomas Partey does when he plays in that position and more simple than Jorginho does as well. Now, I've spoken about where I think Jorginho falls short a little bit. But in terms of ball progression, I think Declan Rice was just that little bit safer. The, the first instinct with Declan Rice was maybe to take that extra touch, maybe to play it square, maybe to um, you know spin around on the ball and, and just buy yourself that little bit more time until a more obvious option becomes available. Look, Arsenal will know that that is something that Declan Rice probably needs to improve on. And somebody brought up a tweet that I posted about a year and a half ago. They brought it up to have a go at me, basically, where I said something like, I'm not sure 
about Declan Rice's ability to progress the ball in comparison to Thomas Partey's because I don't really see that from Rice at West Ham at this moment in time. And somebody, as I say, went back and found that tweet and put it up the other day to, to try and hammer me. But actually, what last night's game really did was kind of highlight the point that I was making, that yes, he will be developed in that side of the game. And I have full faith that he's got the right attitude and the ability to go on to that next level. No problem. But we're going to have to understand that he is playing a really, really different way now to what he's been playing for the last few years. And as a result of that, there is going to be a, uh, there's going to be maybe some teething problems. Um, is that the right way to put it? I don't know. But I just thought he was a little bit safe in his passes yesterday. He was very protective of the ball. But what I did see was in stark contrast to when Jorginho was playing, any ball drops in the middle of the park and, you know, it's a 50-50. Declan Rice is there first. He's strong enough. He goes out and closes people down. He's bold, but he also has that awareness of the spaces that he's leaving him behind him as well. So overall, it was a really solid performance from Declan Rice. But I'm looking for a little bit more progress of the ball and I'm looking forward to... Um, watching him develop that side of his game that little bit more. So it's not a criticism of Declan Rice. It's just an observation based on what I saw yesterday. On the other hand, I saw Yuri and Timber come into the side and I thought he was fantastic um, in terms of on the ball. Brave in his passing, uh, really, really confident in his touch, really, really confident in his ability to to bring the ball under his spell in tight areas. I just think that Yuri and Timber looked a class act. He really, really did. And we've talked so, so much about, you know, his abilities on the ball and, and how that makes him a real asset to this defensive line. And we've talked a lot about his versatility as well, but there has been this part of me that's wanted to be just a little bit cautious. So as not to say, well, this guy can play in all these different positions when we haven't seen it and we haven't, it's not been tried and tested. Now I look at him and I think you could easily play at centre-back. You could easily play at right-back. You could easily play at defensive midfield. You really, really could. Like if, if we lined up on the first day of the season and Yuri and Timber were sitting in the sixth position, I wouldn't be concerned in the slightest because he's got the defensive instincts having played centre-back for the majority of his career, but he's also got the nous on the ball and the vision to be able to see passes, to break lines as we keep talking about. You want to get, Urian Timber is one of those players that you want him on the ball as much as possible. And he is going to come inside into that inverted position as he did a lot in the second half yesterday. It means we don't have to do it as much on the left. We now have the option to do it on both sides. Maybe not simultaneously, but we have a real, real great option in Urian Timber. I've been so, so impressed with him. Um, and as, uh, as Du says in the chat, he's also a ball carrier. Looks so confident, doesn't he, in carrying the ball forward. Covers loads and loads of ground. Really, really uh, exciting player. And then Kai Havertz uh, it was the other new boy that we just wanted to, to touch on because, as I mentioned earlier already, there's a bit more pressure maybe on Kai Havertz because of that nonsense skill challenge and some of the reaction to that. But, you know, I thought he showed a few nice touches um, prior to the goal. I thought... He was a little bit passive at times. And I think sometimes we... Sometimes you you can have players that are really, really technically gifted, but they can slow you down a little bit. And I do worry 
a little bit about Havertz as a midfielder, maybe slowing us down in terms of our build-up and that allowing teams to get more bodies behind the ball and ultimately making it more difficult. But I think you can see the value of him as well because he's really, really tall, um, which, you know, you don't look at him and think, oh my God, he's a massive powerhouse. You need to stand the ball up at the back post and he's going to go and win it and head it into the back of the net. That's not how you look at Kai Havertz, but we do have that option to go that little bit longer, that little bit more direct because of what he brings to the table physically. He does look a little bit languid and, and what's the word? casual at times and I remember sort of somebody like Dimitar Berbatov as an example and Wanko Kanu as an example players that people looked at and went he looks lazy well no it's it's kind of the way he carries himself and, and it can cause or create that illusion of a lazy player that's not what Kai Havertz is I really really enjoyed though um, the goal because it was just really really well taken and it was done really casually by the looks of it and when you do something that casually, it, it makes it look really, really easy. And when someone can make something like that look really, really easy, that should reinforce the notion that this is a really, really talented player. Um, so, yeah, really, really um, pleased that he got the goal. I didn't think his performance around that was amazing. I thought it was okay. It was a decent enough display. But again, I'm looking for fitness. I'm looking for sharpness. I'm looking for the establishment of connections with your new teammates, the understanding of Mikel Arteta's ways. And just like I think Leandro Trossard's going to go into the new campaign with a bit more pressure on him, but also a greater understanding of what's required. I think, you know, we have to give these players a little bit of time as well. People always say, well, they've come from the Premier League, Kai Havertz and, um, and Declan Rice. So that means that there's going to be no bedding in period. There's going to be no leeway, um, no grace period. I'm not saying they need a grace period because we spent, what, £165 million, £170 million on those two players. But, you know, any new surroundings mean that you need uh, some time to adjust and some time to adapt. And I'm willing to give them that because we have a good enough side already. Like, if Kai Havertz doesn't play the first game of the season, who cares? Play with Partey, play with Rice, play with Odegaard. That's your midfield three. You don't need to use Kai Havertz. Play with Jesus, Saka and Martinelli up top. Saliba, Gabriel at centre-backs. Zinchenko, if he's available at left-back. If not, someone else. Kivior, maybe. Play White at right-back. These players uh, have come in and they've they've bolstered the squad to the point where, yeah, like I expect a lot of them to be starters over time. But we're not in a place where like we're desperate and we have to throw them all in from the off. They, they're allowed to have that bit of time because we've allowed that based on the fact we've built a good side now. And it's not every transfer window. We have to go and bring in players that are going to come and fix something now, like there's a leak and you've got to patch it up quickly. No, we're a good enough side now to be able to find the right ways to use these players and just buy ourselves that little bit of time when it comes to new signings, whether they're from the Premier League or not. Right. Uh, those are kind of my uh, overall thoughts on the game. Um, nothing really further to add. Um you know, I wanted to focus mainly on on the new boys. I wanted to talk about the game overall. Uh, the Leandro Trossard thing was uh, a big sort of point that I took away from the game as well. Um, but yeah, start getting your questions in. And we'll take as many of those as we possibly can between now and the end of the show. Uh, don't forget to leave a like on the video if you haven't done so already. Just 147 likes on the board. 
come on guys uh, there's over 600 of you with me live right now on youtube there is no reason why we shouldn't have at least 300 likes at absolute minimum subscribe if you haven't done so already as we continue to crawl towards that 30,000 mark that we want to get to sooner rather than later and um yeah let's get over to the chat box and see what you guys have to say where are we where are we where are we um okay Steve Stone says, is it okay to change your mind? I absolutely hated the Awake It when I first saw it. Now I'm having second thoughts. When I first saw it, I despised it. Genuinely, I hated it. Like there wasn't a single point that I could make to kind of just soften my disgust for this kit. I, I thought it was horrible. And I still do, generally speaking. Yesterday when I started to see it a bit more before the game, I, I, I said to someone, it's grown on me a little bit. I still, I'm not at the point where I like it, but it's better to me or better in my eyes than it was 24 hours ago. And then I watched them playing it last night and it's okay, I guess, but there are elements of it that really annoy me. So I talked yesterday um, or the day before when we last did a podcast about the blue why is the sponsor in blue? Why is the, like, fine. If the kit was all yellow, then have the blue sponsor, fine. But they've got a blue sponsor when it's like yellow and black kit. It's not even really yellow. I don't know what to call it. Um, you've got the numbers in blue when they should be in black, as far as I'm concerned, to go with that kit. Like, there's just elements of it that drive me mental that just don't look right to me. I think it will grow on me over time. But as I said, when it first uh, was released and, and we first had that confirmation that that was going to be the kit. Arsenal had done the launch and all the rest of it. If we go and achieve amazing things in it, nobody's going to give a shit. And that kit, no matter how horrendous or hideous you think it looks today, could become iconic. So um, I'm not going to cast uh, full judgment on that just yet. Uh, Popham says, with two attacking eights, who will sit next to the DM in a low block? So you mean if we're in a low block? Well, if we're in a low block, then the two eights will have to come back and sit alongside the DM. There will be a protection against transitions in the team, which I think will come from the inverted fullback. So when the inverted fullback comes in, obviously in the build-up, they're obviously going to be in a position then if the ball is turned over to tuck in alongside the DM and allow the back th the, the rest of the defenders to form a back three. Then you've got a core back five and you force teams wide. I've always said this. When you're defending, you send teams wide. You protect the middle, the core first and foremost, because the likelihood of someone scoring from outside the width of the penalty area is nowhere near as great, is it, as someone scoring from within the width of the penalty area. So what you want to do is protect the main area. Think of how like the Spartans used to defend, where they used to sort of make a shield wall and they'd try and send you around the sides of them, but they'd always make sure that you know they were strong in the middle. Weird comparison, weird analogy, I know. But anyway, um, yeah, I think that's the idea behind it. Okay, uh, William Salee back with a new contract. Love the screen name. And good to see you on the Nighty Min show earlier as well, mate. He says, to be honest, Harry, I think Kai covered up for Runison's horrible performance in goal during the skill challenge. He was schoolboy level. I don't think we're going to get a fee for him. Goalie wars. What, what a thing. What a thing that is. Unbelievable. Um, Amira says, uh, why does KT need to learn how to invert to stay in the team? 
We have Timber now who complements him really well. Even White doesn't need to invert because we have Zinni and Kivi uh, on the other side. He doesn't need to learn to invert, but clearly that is something that is going to be a feature of our game again. And as I mentioned when I was talking about Tierney, yeah, it's great that we have a more traditional left back in our ranks so that when we want to play in a different way, we can. But Mikel Arteta has shown no evidence of letting up on this idea of the inverted left back. And so if Kieran Tierney wants to give himself a fighting chance of being the number one go-to left back in this side, then he's going to have to get better at doing that. He really, really is. Uh, so EFM says, I find it very strange that as Arsenal fans, people are so quick to judge Havertz. He's had two halves of football with the Arsenal team. Already scored more for Arsenal than Woodrick has for Chelsea. Relax. <laughs> um, Avic says, uh, our sell strategy will decide whether or not we'll win or challenge for the league or not. Keep Partey and KT or at least Partey. For me, keeping Partey is a must. Otherwise, we have to go and invest big money. Um in uh, in another midfield player, which I, I don't think the club will necessarily want to do. Uh, Ojadek says, um, Harry, my wife just got pregnant. Any advice? First of all, mate, uh, on behalf of the Chronicles of Aguna family, congratulations. Um, honestly, that's great news. Advice? Get loads of sleep now. Do all the things you want to do now because your life is going to change, my friend, for the better, but it is going to change big time. Uh, so just be aware of that. I was actually talking to a mate the other day. I, I really want to start a podcast which is called Fatherhood, The Truth, because I feel like I wasn't warned um, by those around me of how life-changing becoming a father is. And I wanted to make a podcast, just like 10 episodes, like a mini series. Uh, with with other people that have been through that experience to just talk about what it's really like. Not to put people off it, not to slag it off or anything like that. But there are things I think that you cannot possibly prepare for that you should know. And um, and if you do know, then maybe it can help you go in some way into the, the preparation. I don't know. Uh, Damien says, name the kid. Oh, I think the kid should be called Mikkel. Um, um, if it's a girl, Michaela. <laughs> Oh, man. Um, what else have we got? Uh, Clock Orange says, do you think Arsenal will go and buy more quality players like Rice and Timber in this market? I think Arsenal will be keeping their ear close to the ground. I think Arsenal will be aware of what's going on and they'll be in conversations. Lots of links to Mohamed Kudus. We'll talk about that uh, later on uh, in a bit more detail uh, on another episode because I want to do a little bit of a transfer breakdown because I feel like when we do these reviews, we kind of skip the news a bit. And obviously the news at this time of year is, is just as important as the outcome of these friendly games. So uh, we'll do a bit on that later on. But I do think um, I do think that there is a chance that Arsenal go out and continue to spend. But I think it is going to be dependent as well on um, on what they get for outgoings as well. <laughs> so he says, Harry, uh, my wife said, Haha, Spartan's such a Greek. Well, you can't take the Greek out, can you? Um, you, you just can't. Uh, Sam Tresida says, uh, if you do a parent podcast, uh, sign me up to chat. Definitely, man. Definitely. Hujadek uh, says, uh, fatherhood, the truth. I would love this podcast. <laughs> uh, Justice says, uh, Harry will go on a date with Arteta. Facts, mate. I've got a photo with Mikel Arteta where we're both in shirts looking very, very dapper. And um, yeah, I would go on a date with Mikel Arteta. The guy's a bloody legend. Uh, Nas says, Harry, look forward to seeing you next month. Uh, you too, man. Um, looking forward to seeing plenty of you. 
down at Laguna Talk TV's uh, live podcast, uh, where, as I mentioned earlier, I'll be a panelist. The ticket information or the link to the ticket information and the website from which you can book is in the description of this episode. Do check it out. I know me and Tom have got a lot of mutual listeners because we do quite a few podcasts together and we we tend to see the same people pop up in the chat box which is nice as well so um that's why it's extra kind of special to me uh, that tom said you know come along and, and be on the panel uh, which is amazing credit to tom because I, I don't know that i'd have it in me to to set up an event like that um i'd feel like i'd be too paranoid about it i'd be like well what if nobody comes um but tom is great and he's built an unbelievable community there and um i think we should all go down and support him basically okay um i think i'm gonna take <laughs> i think i'm gonna take one more before i go um i am in the 90 min studio we just finished filming the show over there on the set um and uh yeah i'm gonna finish up here and then gonna head uh, back up to simu towers uh, so we're going to wrap up soon, but this one from DR, we seem to like natural names like rice, timber and granite, which other natural name player will we buy next stones? What do you reckon? That's the first one that came to my head. How about stones to go with granite, timber? And rice? <laughs> That's a great one. Um, love it. Um, Travarelli says uh, you didn't see Marquinhos Marquinhos. I talked about him after the Nuremberg game as someone that I'm still not sure about. I think it will be a shame to let Marquinhos go because I think there is something in there, but I don't really know what his pathway is at the moment because, you know, Nelson's been signed up to a new deal. You've got Martinelli, you've got Smith-Rowe, you've got Saka, Pepe still not left the club yet. Not that I'm saying that Pepe goes ahead of him, but yeah, I'm, I'm, a little, I'm interested to see how this one will go. Uh, Michael says, Harry, please welcome my son, Bukayo Anthony Hamilton. Congratulations, mate. Um, great name as well. He says, you're right. There's a lot of things I wasn't ready for. <laughs> big time. Uh, big hello to Frederick, who joins us from Sweden. I hope you're good, mate. Um, yeah, good to good to see you uh, in the live chat as well. And um, just one final reminder before I go, uh, that if you haven't done so already, please do leave a like we hit the 200 uh likes um but i wanted 300 so come on like subscribe all the rest of it um it's easy to do and it really really does help right that concludes this episode of the chronicles of aguna the arsenal podcast of course part of the 90 min football family uh, thank you for joining me for the review of our win over the mls all-stars all-stars they got absolutely pumped by the Arsenal. Arsenal going to America, dominating. And hopefully that continues on Saturday when we take on Manchester United in our next pre-season friendly. Uh, thank you uh, all so much uh, for the love and support of the podcast. As I always say, it really does mean the world to me. And I'll see you all next time. Goodbye. I'm Martin Tyler. And you're listening to Harry Simeon. 